we have these crossroads. And you know, either way you choose, your life is going to be different. The universe doesn't exist, but God thinks it does. We have to stop consuming our culture. We have to create culture. Stupidity has a definite evolutionary function. I am all for abolishing stupidity, but before it goes, we should pay tribute to it. Hello, and welcome to the Nonsense Bazaar. We are your hosts, Willow of Truman. Oh, you did it. I did do it. I'm Sequoia of Kennedy. <laughs> Thank I'm you. Not, Thank, God damn it. Thank you for doing the bit. <laughs> All right. I'll do the I'll do I'll do the bit. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the the bit uh we're we're talking about two women today, Christina of Mary Kate and Hildegard von Bingen. Or Hildegard of Bingen. You know, so Vaughn sounds better. Yeah. Yeah. She's also known as uh, Sybil of the Rhine. That's like her second. Oh, okay. I've heard that. That's a cool name, too. This feels weird. I'm not used to getting the history lesson. Yeah. And also, we're traveling like far back in time this week. Sick. Like to the early 12th century, far back. Sick. Hell yeah. Like originally, I was planning on doing an episode about some Project Montauk, Project Looking Glass type You've done a shit. lot of projects lately. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I need to step away from it all. Yeah. A, a spirit, you could say, guided me to my bookshelf and was like, you know what? Your next topic is going to come to you now. Just pick out whatever book you, calls your name. You needed to reject modernity and embrace tradition. Yeah, literally. <laughs> literally. And the spirit called me to this book on my shelf called Medieval Women's Visionary Literature. Okay. And um, this is from a, a college course that I took in my senior year. Cool. I, I left a, a slot open every semester for like a fun class, you know, yeah, yeah, something yeah. that's not part of my major, but I can take for fun. So I chose this and then I quickly realized, ooh, this is an advanced English class. I haven't <laughs> been taking any English courses for my entire college duration. I don't know how to write anything. You got words. I do, but it was like, it was too much. I was taking 19 credits. So I basically just stopped showing up to this class. Hell yeah. Even though I was very intrigued by the content. Yeah. So I've, I haven't really read the book. I did that with my uh, deviance and social control sociology mm. class. It was at eight o'clock in the fucking morning. I'm doing that shit. Yeah. This one was at eight o'clock at night. I could do that. Yeah. Yeah. Don't want to, but. Right. So you haven't read this book that you're going to be talking about. Oh, now I have. (laughs) Now I have. And I was like, oh, shit, this is really cool. Yeah, yeah. You know? So I am not a medieval historian. Hmm. You know? I'm not going to take you through the nitty gritty details of these women's lives and give you the fleshed out picture of medieval Europe. But I'm going to do my best. It smelled like shit. Yeah. You're going to know a lot more at the end of this episode than when we started. All right. So why this topic? Why did this call to me, right? Yeah. Um. Well, you know, throughout Western Christian history, we see this image of God as a man, yep. as a father, yep. and as like the archetype of male perfection. So during the Middle Ages, Christians strove to achieve this godlike masculine perfection. Yeah. Because in order to be a holy person, it's mostly cordoned off for men. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. But 
even women wanted to achieve that godlike perfection. Sure. And it was a weird time to be a woman, middle ages. Sure. You know, society expected women to follow the rules of their fathers, their husbands, their kings, and above all, the word of God. I mean, how alienating must that be? Honestly, guys, something I've never really thought of before because I like don't take Christianity that seriously. Right. Um, but like the like for a woman to just constantly hear the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right. Like, like what's your place? It's a pretty serious imbalance of your like, place is the I, baby maker. Your place is whatever the fuck we say it is. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like you're carrying the burden of balancing the demands of God, and, and also you possess this feeling that you're inherently sinful because Sick. of all the shit that they say about Eve and of, of women, yeah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. So I just thought it's cool that I found these two women who were able to transcend their assigned roles Hell yeah. and they saw some cool visions and did some cool shit. Hell yeah. And like for as much uh, shit as I have and will continue to talk about Christianity. Yep. And that's just me, me too. being honest. I will. The Christian mystics are some of the coolest motherfuckers out there. Yeah. Like Christian mysticism is really, really cool and psychedelic and like it's rad. Uh, yeah. Right. And it's like, I I feel if you weren't a Christian, you're just going to be like cast out of your of everything. Yeah. If you're if you're if you're in uh, shitty old Europe there. Right. Yeah. OK. Terrible time. Let's do it. Ten of coins. OK. Alrighty then. Okay. Okay. Ten, ten of ten of discs. Okay. Yeah. I don't know the story yet, but yeah. All right. Let's do this. Let's let's get into it. All right. Yeah. That's fucking cool. So that's a song from a musical called In the Green, which is okay. about uh, the first half of Hildegard von Bingen's life. Okay. Which is interesting because we really don't know that much about it. So mm, so it's sort of like speculative? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I just think that's a cool fucking song. And that's, beautiful. that's the opening song. So I figure how yeah. better to open our episode. But we're not talking about Hildy yet. Okay. We're starting off with Christina. Christina. Which is... What a enduring name. Yeah, but like, I bet every woman was named Christina back then. Yeah. It's like Christ, but the lady version. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Except um, she began her mystical journey as an unassuming baby named Theodora. 
actually. Oh. She's born Theodora. Okay. She was born in Huntingdon, England in about 1096. Are you going to say Alabama? <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, what do you think? Alabama. What was going on in the region of Alabama in 1096? You don't fucking know, dog. Right? Now you're getting into that, like, red the red dirt people and, like, who the mound builders and the lost yeah. city that's Noah and shit. No, I can't. We can't go we there. Can't, right we now. can't. We that's can't. That's a lot. Okay. So, Christina. Then called Theodora. Theodora. She was from a wealthy Anglo-Saxon merchant family. And 30 years before Christina's birth, Anglo-Saxon and Scandinavian attempts to prevent the Norman invasion ended in defeat at the Battle of Hastings in 1066. Yes, yes, yes. Which redefined political, economic, and religious hierarchies with William the Conqueror assuming the throne on Christmas Day, 1066. Yeah, yeah. Take that. That was a... It's a big ass deal. Yeah. Battle of Hastings. Yeah. Yeah. I first learned about it through the television program Wishbone. Oh yeah, the, the little dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ivanhoe. Was out of the Normans and the Saxons and the, Yeah. He was a brave little dog. Mm-hmm. Good boy. Yeah. <laughs> Good show. <laughs> it was. It was great. That's a very wholesome show. Yeah. yeah. So obviously the Anglo-Saxon nobility did not take kindly to the linguistic and cultural invasion, nor did they appreciate the Norman king dissolving English control over the church. Yeah. And as the decades of Norman rule progressed, fewer and fewer Englishmen and women held positions of authority in the church and in the monasteries. Mm. But Christina's family, although Anglo-Saxon, wanted to maintain their social status and wealth. So they were accommodating to Norman influences. In fact, her mother changed her name to Beatrix to sound more Norman. Yeah, and they were French, right? They are from England. The Normans? Oh, no. I was talking about uh, Christina's family. Yeah. No, the Normans, they're French, right? Francia. Oh, they're from... You know what? These assholes are from all over. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay. Yeah, no, the Normans were like the... They originated in the Duchy of Normandy, which is now in France. Mm-hmm. You might remember it from World War II, the only piece of world history we ever got taught as kids, the storming of Normandy. Yeah. You know, uh, but they're kind of, they're from that part, but they, a lot of them just started sailing around and conquering other places, like way the fuck they out. Like Sicily and the fucking, the Scandinavia. The Iberian oh, Peninsula. Yeah, dude. Yeah, they just started like just North taking Africa's, shit. Yeah. Like, hey, we're here. We got a boat. We can go wherever we want. We yeah. just got our first car. Yeah. They, yeah. Didn't, they didn't speak French. Yeah. So, old Norman. Right. <laughs> so Christina's family, they're bowing down to the Normans. Mm. <clears throat> so mother's name, Beatrix. Her father doesn't have a, Nor- a Norman name. He's Otti. Okay. And he's a highly respected man in the community. Man of the church, whatever, whatever. And uh, Beatrix once said that she knew her daughter would be holy because... A dove flew up her sleeve and lived there for seven days while she was pregnant with Christina. Yeah, change your fucking clothes, girl. Um, yeah, you wore the same dress for seven days with a wash bird th- inside of it. Like I get it, you're middle ages, you don't got a lot of <laughs> clothes. Full of bird shit. shit. Yeah. yeah. You're Which is appropriate because Beatrix is a piece of shit. Like she's okay. a terrible woman. All right. We we don't like her. Okay, we don't I don't like her. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking walking around with birds in her clothing. Like, what? <laughs> it's weird. It's bizarre. Yeah. So as a child, uh, Christina thought that, you know, since her prayers are between her and Christ. Yeah. That when she says them out loud, since it's between her and, and Christ, that means that nobody should hear them. 
right? Especially not that fucking bird. Yeah. So she's just walking around like, dear Jesus, my mom is really stinky. She's oh covered shit. in bird shit. <laughs> I can't wait to be your bride and just get away from this terrible life. Okay. Yeah. Her mom heard it, didn't? Yeah. Everybody could hear yeah, her. Yeah, yeah. And everybody thought that she was very weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As a teenager, her family went to visit this place, St. Albans Abbey in Hertfordshire. And uh, whatever went down there, whatever she saw, it it instilled in her a deep faith to never fuck. Mm. And she took a vow of chastity right then and there. And I don't blame her. That continent smelled like shit for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like there's sanitation, hygiene. They don't, you know... Yeah, people walking around with birds in their sleeves for a week. You enter a marriage, that means that you're going to have a, a baby, and childbirth often means death or whatever, you know, a painful death. And so it's like, mm, Christina's thinking, I want to enter the monastery. I mean, call me a snob, call me a prude, but if you're walking around with a bird in your sleeve for a week, I'm not fucking you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Get him out of here. Yeah. So, of course, Christina is now daydreaming about her life entering a monastic society. But that means going against, you know, uh, both the political and monetary well-being of her family, because they're hoping they're going to marry her off to someone like you know, within their circle, someone of influence yeah. and they can protect their wealth because they have a lot of it, you know, that they had ac accumulated before the invasion. They want to yeah, hold yeah, on yeah. to it. So how is she going to do this? You know, this is a big challenge for her. How is she going to transcend her prescribed social role and assume a masculine persona? Because that's what she needs to do in order to get where she wants. She needs to basically become a man. Stick a bird down your pants. Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> and, like, this is interesting. When you read about her, she's described as both a man and a woman. Hmm. And you're thinking, like, what does that mean? Like, is she a hermaphrodite? No. Sure. No, that's not what that means. It means that she was so accepted by the other powerful religious men that they accepted her as one of their own. Huh. Hmm. Very interesting, right? In, yeah. In fact, at one point she lived, worked, prayed within an all-male community. Like she was a leader within an all-male community. So it's very interesting. I mean, you know, you go back through history and like all over the place, you'll see examples like this where, you know, for lack of a better term in this regard, like trans people just happen. Yeah. Like they're just, they're still there. Right. They're just doing shit and the, you know, I don't know. I feel like it's uh, it's almost like it's a spiritual designation more than sure. a gender identity thing, though. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, because it's such a low-key, high-key, patriarchal society, like, she cannot even be seen as having that position of power without um, right. giving they, up her womanhood. Right. They have to, like, it's like a technicality. Right. <sighs> Like, she has to not be a woman anymore in order for her to be an equal. It just shows they don't give a shit about the actual... The, they just care about the legalese. Yeah, it's a loophole. Like, yeah. really, who cares? Oh, Come on, she's with you. She's <laughs> yeah. hanging out. What is this? You know? All right. So <laughs> well, if we call her, man, that'll be fine. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> the, 
very confusing to read about, quite yeah. honestly. So Christina has this aunt. Get ready for the name. Yeah, yeah. Elf Gifu. <laughs> were you, were you no. prepared? Is that Welsh? Are you fucking up that pronunciation? Elf, Elf Gifu. Uh. Um, yeah. And her aunt had been the mistress to this dude. And get ready for the name. Rano Flambard. <laughs> That's solid. Ranolf and Elfgafu. I feel like Elfgafu is like a Welsh name that's probably like Elwin or something. Yeah. Like something like really simple, but just spelled with way too many F's and W's and D's. Right. Yeah. I have to imagine I'm not <laughs> saying it the way that it was said. How it's fucking spelled though. Yeah. <laughs> so Aunt Elfgafu. Yeah. It's fucking Ranolf. And Ranolf, why are we talking about him? Why are we talking about him? He is the rich, powerful, leading bishop who had at one point been chief financial and legal agent as well as personal chaplain to English King William II. So this guy, Ranolf, he's a big deal. But he's also a skeezy pervert. And he has multiple concubines. Doesn't surprise me that those go hand in hand. Yes. Multiple baby mamas. Yeah. And as we know from the documents... Aunt Elfgifu is one of them. Mm. And if Ranolf was to get his way, Christina would soon be one of them too. Mm. Like, bro, you're, what are you doing? You're a bishop. You're a man of God. How dare you? He's not a man of the cloth. He's a man of the sack. (laughs) 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 And he was too. Like, his seed spread far and wide. So one night at Ranolf's home, the whole family is there, Christina, her parents, the aunt, you know, whatever, because Randolph is a guy of connections. Yeah. So family's going to going to be on his on his team. He's people what knows people. Yeah. And this shameless bishop, he brought the unsuspecting girl, the darling Christina, to his chamber, grabbed her by the sleeve of her tunic, mm. and with the same mouth that he used to consecrate the holy sacrament, he begged Christina to commit wicked deeds. Yeah, but she's a she's a man. <laughs> Not at this point. Oh, shit. Not yet. You could have gotten him on a technicality. Right. At this <laughs> point, she's still just, you know, the chaste young Theodora. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, who just wants to be the bride of Christ and take her vow of chastity and be at the monastery. But now she's in this fucking gross bishop's bedroom and she's thinking, well, I can't fight back because he's so much bigger and stronger than me. But you know what I have? I have wit. Yeah. Yeah. So she's in Randolph's clutches and she glances at the door and she notices, okay, it's shut, but it's not bolted shut, you know? So she's like, allow me to fasten the bolt for even if we do not fear God, at least we ought to fear men lest they catch us in this act mm. so Randolph is like oh yeah you, sh- you should lock the door <laughs> 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 so she gets up and she just fucking runs out of the room and there's a bolt on the other side of the door hell yeah hell she yeah. bolts him inside fuck and then she runs home fuck yeah yeah so she escaped something that could have been horrific for her yes i forgot that dude just gets fucking murked right after he says that Mm -hmm. have you seen jurassic park yes okay thank god yes (laughs) 
clever girl. <laughs> she is. <laughs> she is. So after this happens, instead of, you know, walking away like a dog with his tail between his legs like he should be. Right. Randolph is like, do you want any jewelry or dresses? I, I could buy you nice things. And she's like, no. What no. the fuck is wrong with you? I don't want anything to do with you. Yeah. Yeah. But he doesn't respond to rejection well because, yeah. you know, of course he doesn't. Yeah, he's a big important man. And he decides that he's going to respond to this rejection by seeking revenge. Okay. And he's going to do that by urging Christina's parents to seek a marriage between her and this young nobleman who Randolph is buddies with. Right. Named Bertrand. Oh, no. Bertrand. Bertrand. Yeah. And of course, Christina, being the bride of Christ, refuses. She said, I don't want to marry this fucking man. Yeah. And her parents, they're making her promises. They're getting her presents. They're begging her and still no. And then they start threatening her. Mm. Still no. And this is really quite a bad romance. Oh, God damn it. Really? Yeah. All right. So after that delightful musical break by Hildegard von Blingen on YouTube, just amazing, mm-hmm. amazing. Okay. Where we last left off 40 seconds ago, <laughs> her parents are pressuring her into marrying Bertrand. Yeah. Yeah. She don't want to. Don't want to. One day, basically everyone at church just accosts her God. <laughs> and fucking physically force her into marrying him. Wait. So, yeah, so she she does get married to him. Womp womp. Damn, you yeah. can't do that. Uh, yeah, I guess you can. <coughs> so even though she... What, they like take their hands and like, yeah, like shape her mouth into the words, I do want someone punched her in the fucking Probably, like, I wouldn't Christ. put it past them. So even though she consented <laughs> marriage... Um, She was still not consenting to having sex and consummating the marriage. Call that a Norman consent. Yeah. (laughs) And in fact, she publicly expressed her refusal to quote, to be defiled by submitting herself to the carnal embraces of a man. Put your bird away, buddy. Yeah, she's not going to be defiled. So her parents diligently set out on their quest to get their daughter laid which included isolating her from any of her religious peers and surrounding her instead with, quote, people given to jesting, boasting, and world amusements. They, they basically forced her to go to parties and drink. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, you're going to get drunk and you're going to fuck, bitch. Oh, my God. It's going to be the last thing. (laughs) Yeah. They even one time they dressed her up in like a slutty little outfit and made her go serve wine at this merchant festival. I'm not even kidding. Jesus Christ. Like, okay. So in the text, it says Beatrix swore she would not care who deflowered her daughter, provided (laughs) that some way of deflowering could be found. 
What? She did. She was like anybody. Just you uh, right there. Fuck my daughter. (laughs) (laughs) And she wasted. What the fuck? Beatrix wasted a bunch of money on like hiring old crones to to try out like love potions and charms to, to drive impure desires out of Christina's mind. Wait, her impure desires. Yeah. That's what other. That's what a decade from now you're gonna be calling out the pure desires. Yeah. Fuck is this? They want to drive. They they want her to be horny. Like imagine your mom hiring like witches to cast spells on you to make you horny. It's ridiculous. Sure. It's absolutely Fucking ridiculous. A. All right. Yeah. So, in the text, all right, it says that at one point a Jewess was hired. Mm. who wanted to harm Christina with tricks that were more powerful than any of the the witches that came before. I mean, a Jew magic. Yeah. So uh, the Jewess enters and and says to Beatrix, don't bother. I'm seeing there's two phantoms, two people dressed in white, and they are around your daughter at all times Mm. protecting her from assaults. So I don't know what to tell you. I can't do anything for you. But that, Slapping every dick that comes near her. Yeah. Get out of here. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't good enough, though. All right. Beatrix doesn't listen to the Jewess. Mm. She doesn't listen to the to the old crones. She doesn't Jewess. listen to her daughter. Yeah, that's, that's what it says. How would you... Can I, I would call you mind. a Jewess? Yeah, no. please do. Okay, sure. <laughs> I like that descriptor. All right. You know? It's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. So there's an incident uh, where Beatrix... And Christina and the whole family, they're at a banquet together. And Beatrix just decides, you know what? Come here, you little shit. And she <laughs> grabs Christina by the hair, pulls her out of the banquet, oh and God. just like beats the shit out of her. <laughs> She's left with scars, both emotionally and physically. Okay, wow. And then Beatrix takes her back into the banquet and like shows her, like shows her scars to people. Like, look what I did. Now fuck her. Yeah, right. What the hell? So so that night, this is when Christina gets like one of her first uh visions. Okay. Yeah. And makes sense. It's a, a vision of basically the mother that she wishes that she had. Ooh. So Christina dreams that she's in this church, and there's a priest who gives her this beautiful branch that's covered in flowers. And there's also a lady there who's like an empress and she's not far from the altar. So like a a very kind presence in the church. And this lady offers Christina comfort, is very nice to her. And then as Christina's walking through the church, uh, Bertrand is there. And he's on the floor and he's smashing his head against the ground. (laughs) And he's like reaching for her, but can't touch her as she just like walks past him while he's just banging his head on the ground and pathetically reaching for her. And she she walks up these stairs to this upper chamber where there's this beautiful queen. Right. And this queen uh, approaches Christina and puts her head in Christina's lap. Almost like, you know, a sign of submission from from this divine being. But when she places her head in Christina's lap, it's with her face away from her. And Christina is disturbed by this and is like, why 
won't you look at me? It's actually, it's a dog in a queen suit. Yeah, no, the queen turns to look at her, the empress, queen, whatever you want to call her, and says, uh, when you and Judith come back to my chamber, you can have your fill of looking at my face. Judith from the Bible. Okay, okay. Who is another, like, oh, yeah, okay. The book, there's a, she gets her whole own book in the Bible. Right, right, right. The book of Judith. I think, like, Judith fucking beheads someone, I'm pretty sure. So, basically, she's just this cool woman who makes friends with the enemies, you know, gets them drunk, gets into their tent one night, and then just fucking decapitates their general. She's like, you know what? There you go. No more leader. Hell yeah. She just used her feminine wiles to... Save the Israelites from the Assyrians. Fuck yeah. Yeah, right. So, yeah. Christina and Judith. She's subconsciously at least feeling the bloodlust right now, which is understandable. It is. Isn't it? Like, after this fucking banquet event, Mm -hmm. I'd be fucking out for blood. She's been through quite a lot at this point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it's going to take a lot of courage to just run away because it's like, where... Where are you going to go? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that's her first, like, major vision. And she gets it at night. It's kind of like a dream. But yeah, you yeah, know yeah. what? Dr- a dream counts as a vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She she wakes up and her pillow is wet with tears. And that's kind of the moment that changes her life forever. From then on, she's, like, fully committed yeah. to serving the church and to living, like, to living this life. And there's also something that's really sad about that vision is because it's like the mother that she wishes that she had. Yeah. Is this comforting maternal force. Yeah. That will, you know. Yeah, she had a shit mother. Right. Yeah. So at their wits end, (laughs) because Christina, she's going to the party. She's serving the wine. She's wearing the slutty little outfits. It's not working. So her parents decide, we're just going to let Bert into her bedroom and hope that he finds her sleeping and gets the job done. Yeah. Just late one night, just open the door. Uh, instead of finding her sleeping, he finds her wide awake and she engages him in a long talk about chastity. Okay. And she comes up with a deal. Listen, Bert, I know your friends are making fun of you because your wife won't fuck you. <laughs> And wants nothing to do with you. I'll live with you to spare you the embarrassment and give us the impression of being a married couple. But you're not laying a finger on my butterfinger. We're going to be just like St. Cecilia and her husband, Valerian. If you don't know, Cecilia was a Christian in third century Rome. Okay. Against her will, she was married to a man. Mm -hmm. And on her wedding night, she said to him... If you touch me, there's an angel protecting me that'll fucking kill you. Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so Valerian's like, well, I can't see the angel. And she's like, that's because you're not a holy man. Fair enough. Yeah. You don't have the sight. You're you're too impure. So Valerian's like, well, I want to see the angel. She's like, well, then you have to know the true God. I don't want to know you. You got to be cleansed of the impurity of unbelief. You don't believe me? You got to first put your dick away. Yeah. So <laughs> Valerian gets baptized and then he can see the angel and then they are uh, celibate forever. I'm sad for both of them. Yeah. So <laughs> so Christina is trying to convince Bert to, you know, yeah. be like them. And just, whatever. So he fails. He gets it caught up in this talk yeah. all night. Doesn't fulfill his task. Yeah. So Christina's family and, and Bert's friends 
basically go on to make fun of him more. Because they were watching through the window. Yeah, yeah. literally, though. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, you're spineless and useless. And they they goad him into giving it a second shot. No. And this time, you better not fuck it up. And if you... Fuck, dude. If you can't do it, we're going to be standing by to help. So they all, like, gather outside of the door. I'm upset. Yeah. It's like a whole group is in on this, yeah. like trying to get this poor fucking young girl raped, basically. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, Jesus I mean, Christ. Not, not basically, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is that. Yeah. yeah. So Bert busts through the door, but Christina's nowhere to be found. Oh, shit. Because she overheard what was going on. <laughs> and there's this clever girl. <laughs> clever girl. <laughs> Behind a curtain on the wall, like this tapestry curtain thing that's yeah, hanging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's this big nail that's protruding from the wall. And she gets the idea that she's going to hang by the nail, like grab onto it so that her feet can't be seen. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. So she's hanging by the nail, basically like by her fingernails, just holding on, you know. Yeah. Well, the group uh, piles into the room to search for her. In fact, there's even one moment where someone like grabs the curtain by accident and takes a hold of her foot, but then lets it go. Wow. Yeah. No shit. So they can't find her. Everybody's disappointed. The next day, there's this like dramatic chase scene where Bert sees Christina and like literally starts running after her. And she's she's running away and she has to get over this tall spiked fence that's like taller than her. Yeah. But she finds it within herself to scurry up it and escape him. And she says that when she turned around to look at him on the other side of the fence, he had transformed into a devil with like blackened teeth and a morphed face. I'm no, like, that's just Damn. Middle Ages Europe. <laughs> yeah, his teeth are fucking... Yeah. Yeah, if he even has any. Yeah. So word gets around town about Christina's dilemma. Because surely somebody in the village has got to think like, this is weird, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, yeah. what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> what is going on? Just the blacksmith and his wife going. Mm-mm. Yeah, this whole family just so committed to going yeah. against the wishes of this young woman. So it's arranged for this hermit. And God, the hermits really come through in this story. <laughs> they always do. Know? Yeah. Named uh, Edwine. Or That's, Edwine. Yeah. It's definitely Awen or something. Awen-y. It's definitely like Awen. Yeah. Like it's just some Welsh bullshit. So, so say whatever you want. Yeah. Awen. Yeah. Or whatever. How does it spell? E-A-D. Wine. It's probably fucking Ewan. For yeah. all I know. Awen. Let's go Awen. Awen. Yeah. Yeah. So this hermit named Awen. Yeah. Hears about Christina's dilemma and is like, hey girl, I'll help you. We're going to dress you up like a dude. You're going to hop on a horse. You're going to ride out of there. You're just going to ride until you you don't look back. And put this bird down your pants. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I love this line. Christina writes that once she leaves, uh, it's going to be forever because, and I quote, it is better for me never to leave than to return like a dog to its vomit. Mm. Like fucking get him. Yeah. Hell yeah. Get him. Hell yeah. (laughs) just a fucking pile of of vomit to me that's all you are yeah that's sick embarrassing to go back to you so edwin uh 
takes Christina, you know, helps her out on her journey to get on the horse. And it's interesting. Christina also writes how, like, when she gets on the horse and dresses up like a guy, there's a moment of hesitation where she's like, feels weird to have the masculine countenance, you know? Yeah. But then she brushes it off because she's like, you know what? I, I got to live get, my fucking life. I got to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Bye. So Edwin takes her to stay with a woman named Alfwyn. And Alfwyn is an anchoress at Flamstead. None of this shit's real. Yeah. <laughs> so An anchoress. Yeah. Let's talk about what an anchoress sure. is. When you look up a picture, there's a really funny painting of like just a nun inside of this little it's like a little dog house and she's just poking her head out of the window (laughs) (laughs) that's basically what it is so wait 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 what do you mean that's basically what it is basically what it is you're like in this little stone tiny building with like two windows in it you're bricked in in some cases wait what you get bricked in you're also given your last rights before you enter this little tiny dog house thing and anchorite's life was hard it's a tiny building, tiny stone enclosure that's attached, usually attached to a church or right adjacent to a church. That doesn't, why? So that you can be basically like a channel between God and earth. It's the when, dumbest shit I've ever heard. Yeah. So when you go into your anchorite cell, you're given your last rites. Because basically, like, you're dying there. Yeah. Like, you are choosing to give up life in order to be the anchorist. You are an anchor. I thought she made anchors. <laughs> no. Yeah. It's kind of, it's similar to a funeral. Like, you're dead to the world. You belong to the church. You are the anchorist. So you're sealed in this little tiny room, this cell attached to the church. And you stay there. You're supposed to stay there until you die. And the cells have two windows. One is known as the hagioscope or the squint, which uh, opens up to the inside of the church. So you're outside, but Mm. you have this little window where you can like pop it open and look inside the church and see what they're doing in there. (laughs) (laughs) Can they see you? Yeah. Just a little eyes like poking out of the cell. Uh, Yeah. So that you can uh, hear mass and receive Holy Communion. But then you have this other window that opens to the outside world. So you can like receive food and pass your waste through it, uh, get other essential items. You could also sometimes you get visitors. My God. There's this great text that's recommendations or it's a it's like a guidebook of advice for anchoresses from former anchoresses. Like, here's what to do. And it's like, if you get bored, you could start digging your own grave with your fingers, <laughs> which I love. What the fuck? Yeah. But with this former anchoresses. <laughs> yeah. They left? Um, I They died and left behind writings. Oh. Yeah. God damn it, man. I'm fucking, so, I'm fucking finna gun about it, reject tradition and embrace modernity. Right. Fuck that. That's so, ridiculous. Yeah. So Christina's going to stay with an anchoress at Flamstead in her little cell. You know, not a glamorous life, but, you know, it's, <sighs> it's better. It's... To be an anchoress is actually to have a highly esteemed position within the church. Who gives a shit? It's an important role. Fuck that. Yeah. To hang out in your, your little room, do whatever you want all day. I'd rather be a ditch digger. Yeah. You yeah, can with your fingers. You're digging your own little ditch. You dig my way right out of there. Right. That's absurd. I didn't it know is about that. It is fucking absurd. That's so dumb. Yeah. Fuck. Christ. Yeah. God damn it. Yeah. That was a thing that, that people really did. <laughs> 
Who the hell is wrong with you? Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> so next after, you know, she Alflin's had her fill of Christina. It's like, all right, my cell's only big enough for one. You got to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Christina finds shelter with another hermit, Roger. Roger. Roger is a subdeacon of St. Albans Abbey, where Christina first had her, you know, little awakening where she was like, I want to be celibate. Okay. That uh, place. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, Roger is a man. Mm-hmm. Roger is a monk. Yes. He can't live with a woman. No. You can't have a woman in your dwelling. No. So you want to take care of this person. But if it's found out that you're protecting them, you could be killed. Something really bad could happen to you. So he has this little tiny opening in his wall that is about the size of a locker, except shorter. And there's a plank of wood that can be propped up in front of it. And... Christina spends her time in this little tiny, it's like mm, maybe about 15 inches wide. So she's squished in there. She can't stand up or lay down, but she spends all of her time in this little passage. Go to the forest. Yeah. Play with the animals. She'll get caught. Fight a bear. She'll get killed, but it'll be better. Yeah. Than living in a goddamn wall closet. It's fucking awful. What is this? It's awful. Fuck this. Yeah. I hate this. So she can only pretty much go out at night when she's not going to get <sighs> yeah, caught. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, also, she's like really super serious about, you know, depriving herself to serve the Lord. So she describes how like her bowels dry up because, you know, she's sitting in there so long without like food or water. She's an idiot, too. Yeah. What is this? <laughs> She's a godly woman. I hate it. This is how you enter a, you know, a trance and see cool visions. And that's true, but like. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, eat some fucking mushrooms. Right. Maybe God. she was. Maybe they were. We don't know. Damn it. They wouldn't be doing any anchorage bullshit if they were eating mushrooms. Somehow, um, she was also doing needlework to support herself at this time because Roger's like, well, you can't just stay in the crack in my wall without. Without a little something Fuck for you. Roger. <laughs> um, yeah. She was very skilled at needlework, though. No, this is real. This is a fucking psyop. I don't, yeah. This is bullshit. <laughs> this can't be true. It is true. Okay. So, vision time. All right. On the day of the Annunciation of the Virgin Mary, like March 25th. If you don't know what that is, sure. I didn't either. I looked it up. That's when... The angel Gabriel came to Mary and was like, you got a baby in you. You got a magic baby in you. So on the day of the Annunciation, Christina's in her little tiny closet, right? Um, And she has this vision that the fairest of the children of men came to her through the locked door and bearing in his right hand a cross of gold. And... This angel basically tells her, like, hold this cross, hold it upright, and don't let it, like, shift in any direction other than upright. Just right. hold it straight up. Yeah. You know what that reminds me of? What? I remember Lemuria. Mm. It's a shaver story. Mm. When uh, Homeboy, whatever the fuck his name was, Mutan Mion <laughs> goes back to uh, Earth at Mu or whatever the fuck, and he gets told by the giantess that, like... All right, in this box, there's a there's a fucking there's a there's a little thing you gotta put it under your hat. Mm-hmm. Don't let it fall off. 
Yeah. Yeah. That, it's that type yeah, of yeah, yeah. bullshit. Yeah. So, so Jesus, this is Jesus talking. Oh, okay. He's like, Christina, I know shit's hard for you. I'm here to make you feel better. Take this cross, hold it upright, and I'm going to come back to, to take the cross back. Okay. I will. But just hold out hope. So Christina tells Roger about this experience and he starts weeping and and he's he's like, rejoice with me, my Sunday daughter. This means that your suffering will soon end. You know, like this vision is a sign. Um, you mean you're going to let me out of your wall, sir? Yeah. <laughs> 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 right. Um, and I guess this vision, you know, uh, when... When the angel Gabriel came to Mary to announce her pregnancy, he also entered like through a locked door. Like he didn't enter through an open passageway. He like came through the wall. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's like that. It's like mm. the Annunciation. And also when Christ enters hell to release its inhabitants, he holds a golden cross in his hand, like yeah, how yeah. he was holding it. So it's almost like a, a vision of of release, but also annunciation like the i don't know christ coming to uh coming inside of her yeah there you go <laughs> i don't fucking know um yeah well what do you know two days later easter sunday march 27th mm-hmm. the day of the resurrection who shows up to roger's cell but bertard no oh, shit yeah and two of his brothers uh-huh. and bertard is like you know what? I done fucked up. I want to release this woman from the marriage. He he found another woman and wanted to marry her. Ah, yeah, um, so fuck him. Yeah. Yeah. So Bertrand doesn't know that she's in Roger's cell. So Shit. this is, okay. you know, this is kind of crazy. You know, Christina's like watching through the little yeah, hole yeah, yeah. In, in the wall. Like, whoa. Okay. So Bertrand releases her from the marriage. Yeah. And Roger is just overjoyed about this because he no longer has to worry about Christina leaving and like yeah, being yeah, murdered yeah. or hunted down by her vicious ex-husband mm-hmm. or the archbishop or whatever, you know, he feels like to think things are plotting along in yeah. a good way. Uh, and the vision has kind of, you know, come to fruition, I guess you could say. So, ugh. She's been she's been unofficially released from her marriage contract. Yeah. yeah it's yeah, still yeah. not totally it's a like step in the right direction. Officially annulled, but Bertrand is backing off. It only took you what like fucking the uh, 7 years, but whatever. 7 years? Yeah. What? This is over 7 years? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. How long is she in each cubby? She, I think she was in Roger's cubby for 4 years. What in the fuck? Is between two to four years. Yeah, she was there a long time. I was going to say weeks. Yeah, no. Holy shit. Oh, this is intense. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Christian values. Seriously. Okay. okay. So, enter another archbishop. Get him out of here. Archbishop Thurston of York. Thurston. Thurston, yes. Play the... Play the... <laughs> When I heard that name, I just thought of this fucking cat from YouTube. Thurston! Bad boy! No. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Excellent. Yeah. (laughs) Fucking Archbishop Thurston of York. He's friends with Ranulf. The fucking rapey Ranulf. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
And yet he agrees to help Christina and he annuls her marriage for her okay. and confirms her vow of virginity and permits her husband to marry another woman. Okay. So fucking thanks, Thurston. Yeah. Thanks. And then Thurston does something a little silly. Mm. He arranges for Christina to stay with a friend of his, mm. this cleric. But like the cleric and Christina living together is a little iffy because this cleric keeps getting so horny. He takes all of his clothes off and stands in front of Christina and begs her to do something with him. And then Jesus Christ. And then in turn, Christina just insults him. <laughs> Sick. <laughs> yeah. But internally, she's struggling with desires of the flesh, too. With this guy? Yeah. Is he well, hot? What the fuck is this? No, no, no. Okay. So, like, she's you know, she's a human being. A human woman, being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know? Sure. But because this guy's like his self-abasement and begging is so pathetic that she's able to keep her desires in check. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then finally one night, this cleric who keeps exposing himself to Christina uh, has a dream about Mary Magdalene scolding him. She's like, bad. Stop that. And then he stopped doing it after that. <sighs> yeah. Oh, also, by the way, Roger at St. Albans Abbey is like, you know what, Christina? You've been through a lot. When I die, you want to take control of the Abbey? There it's we like, go. That's only fair. Here we go. That Yeah. That's, that's only fair at, yeah. at this point. You know, it's like, Roger, if you didn't, you're you're dickhole. You're kind of a dick, yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. So Roger passes away. She takes control of this all-male Abbey. Still sleeps in the wall. Yeah. <laughs> and slowly, like, a, a community of virgins joins her. You know, there's more nuns and whatever coming. We They're, don't want to fuck these gross Europeans either. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really don't blame them. No, me either. <laughs> and, you know, Christina's a good household manager. She's good at what she does. And she attracts patronage from all across the country. And her community, it grows. This ends as a UFO cult, right? Yeah. <laughs> be crazy yeah. no so christina she's getting older and this time in her life around like 11 30 she meets this guy abbott jeffrey and they become really close okay and their friendship is very intense jeffrey is so inspired by christina's visionary spirituality that he has this psalter like totally redirected for uh, that's a songbook sure uh yeah, like yeah. a religious songbook yeah, yeah. redirected for christina to use which is big deal and their friendship is also unique because usually you see someone like it's interesting because the male cleric is usually the one providing the spiritual advice to the anchoress mm -hmm. but here's a case where christina is in more of a leadership role and is providing advice to abbot jeffrey there's the abbot is seeking guidance from the anchoress mm. usually it's the other way around yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is also pretty cool. And over the next two decades, uh, Christina's spiritual abilities, this, uh, it's mostly Abbot Jeffrey shit. Is all is. <laughs> and also meddling in the high politics of England. Oh. Like um, Abbot Jeffrey was supposed to travel on, on church business, but it was during a civil war. So Christina, you know, she had a little vision and was like, oh, he can't go. Not right now. Yeah, God, yeah. God permits it. Or God uh, 
Prohibits? Prohibits it. Yeah. yeah God prohibits it. <laughs> um, by the way, there is a civil war for 19 years known as the anarchy. Yeah. Between King Stefan and Queen Matilda. You're like cousins. Yeah, dude, that shit happened all the time. Yeah. 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 Wars of succession. They they fought for 19 years. Uh, Stefan won, and then a year later, he died anyway. That's usually how it goes. Yep. Yep. So. These people are all fucking stupid. (laughs) This is insane. Yeah. Uh, So Abbot Jeffrey, he founds uh, his own priory at Mary-Kate. And that's how Christina gets her name. Uh, Christina of Mary-Kate. Of Mary-Kate. And, you know, her sister, Margaret, eventually breaks away from the family and joins Christina there. Mm -hmm. She's like, yeah, fuck mom. So Christina's community at Mary-Kate, it manages to survive until the 16th century. Yeah. So we're just a long time. Yeah. It's four centuries. 1166 was the last date that you said, or 1130? Yeah. 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 Holy shit. And she died in 1155. Damn. So just a long lasting impact. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You said it was dissolved by Henry VIII? Yes. The dissolution of the monasteries by... (laughs) Yes. Yes. So our second lady of the hour, Miss Hildegard von Bingen, also known as Sybil of the Rhine. Mm, Why? Because (laughs) she was on the Rhine River and I... Well, that part makes sense. Is there a a biblical figure named Sybil? I'm sure. Might be after that. Yeah, there's, maybe. there's probably a biblical figure named Ranolf because that's, that's yeah. the only book they had. Right. So Hildegard is known for one of the things that she's known for because she's known for a shitload of things. Yeah. Um, is music. Okay. So I'm going to be punctuating her section. First, we're going to listen to a remix of one of her songs. Sure. There's also David Lynch produced an album of her music. And of course, her music oh, is like... Yeah. You can't listen to a thousand year old recording, but you can listen to people, you know, right. doing the thing. Right. And it is enchanting and angelic. Fuck yeah. Yeah. So let's I mean, start off with. Lynch, uh, Lynch loves that shit, you know? Yeah. It makes absolute sense that he would be into Hildegard. Yeah. one of her non-remixed songs too just to hear it like imagine you're just sitting in an anchorous cell all day what are you doing in there was she an anchorous oh shit she was sent to an anchorous cell when she was eight what the fuck so it's like listening to Gregorian chants except with women Basically. And like, just like complicated yeah. and like, yeah, 
soulful. Mm-hmm. Like, there's so much soul in there. <clears throat> yeah. Passion and power and fucking... And you can only imagine how it feels to be one of those voices surrounded by... And you're just harmonizing with everyone. I would... You would feel like... Uh, her her stance on music is incredible. Yeah. So Hildegard. Mm. We don't know Hildegard's birthday. Okay. So I invite you all to do what I did and just imagine that she has the same birthday as you. Hell yeah. Yeah. She was born in 1098... So just a couple years after uh, Christina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When Christina so was 1096. So it's the same period of... Um, yes. Fucking nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. Except Hildy's in Germany. Mm. She's born to a German family. They're middle-ranking landowners. They live in the wine-growing region of Rheinhessen. Sick. And, uh, yeah. Her family took tithing very seriously. So you know how you're supposed to tithe like 10% to the church? It's a fucking racket. Well, once her family figured out how weird and sickly their 10th child, Hildegard, was, they Give decided the it would be best, yeah, dedicate her to the church. Gotta find a loophole. And <laughs> <So, yeah. laughs> <laughs> a 10%, 10%, 10% of our children. Here it's you go. fucking brilliant. Here you go. Here's Hildy. Honestly? Yeah. And it seems like from those other assholes, they'd be like, well, <laughs> yeah. you found the loophole. Right. <laughs> and yeah, they were right, though. She was okay. a veritable weirdo. Okay. She was having strange visions of luminous light from as young of an age as three, but she didn't have the words to express it then. So her family put up with her religious antics for five more years. And then when she turned eight, Hildy was sent to live with Countess Yetta von Sponheim. <laughs> okay, look, I can imagine a situation in which... Going to live with Countess, what was her name? Yetta von Sponheim. I can get down with that. Yeah. I can also imagine a situation where that's not fun. You know, I imagine for an eight-year-old girl. Right. It's not the situation I was first thinking of. Yeah. <laughs> so, Yetta von Sponheim, she is an anchoress. Oh, fuck. Never mind. Yes. At a Benedictine monastery. Jesus Christ. In uh, Disabotedburg. I can't believe that there was more than one. There was about, around this time, 200 anchoresses across Europe, I believe. It's a fairly Who popular- Who came up with yeah. this? And there was also anchorites. There was uh, men that also did this. Boys. But it, was, it was more popular with women. It's a way to get Why? away from your well, fucking family. Dude, I mean, we heard about Bert's teeth. You don't want to get married. We heard about Bert's, he Bert's yeah. teeth. Everyone's got birds in their pants. Yeah. It's all fucked up. Yeah. I'd consider it. You know? <laughs> Fucking trip out on God all day. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. So, Hildy's sent to this cell with uh, Yetta von Sponheim. Mm -hmm. And there's, I think, three other female students. And I say I think because it's hard to know. You look at differing accounts and they say different shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, that'll happen. Right. So it's Hildy, three other students, and Yetta in their grody little cell. Mm. Uh, they're all just like digging holes. And <laughs> Born in class. Now let's keep working on digging our own graves. Right. Honestly, go fight a bear. Yeah. So by the time Hildegard is 15... That's when it's time to take your vows as a nun. 
And Yada's community had gr- actually grown to a small convent under the supervision of the Disabodeberg <laughs> monasteries. <laughs> and like, but it's crowded, you know, there's not enough yeah. space for all the, all these people. And also Yada's like an okay teacher. Like her grammar's not great. She'll like show you how to read the Latin books, but yeah, yeah. Hildegard felt insecure about her education. Okay. Yeah, she felt like it, she wasn't confident in her writing ability. The fuck? This is 10, this is 1100. Yeah, right. They're all stupid. Fine. <laughs> so Yada, she's she's an oddball. She's very fond of self-flagellation. You, you don't say. Yeah. She likes to, to smack herself and whip herself and yeah, uh, starve herself and never would have suspected all those fun things. Yeah, from a, a lady who decided she wanted to uh, live in a concrete dollhouse. Yeah, she she taught the girls uh, seven virtues, but my favorite is uh, contempt for the world. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I get it. Yeah, no, I'm down with it. Uh, she I'm... also she did stuff like wearing chains underneath her clothing. I knew she was um, kinky as shit. That's yeah, yeah. yeah, dude. And she she would pray barefoot in the winter, like outside, and it's fucking cold out. Um, she left. Like you, I believe you can go outside of your cell. Oh, I think. Wait, so you just have I a house that no. no one else is allowed to come in? Sign no, me it's up. like Fuck a shack. Yeah. Oh, it's a small house that no one else can come in. Yeah, hell it's yeah. A, it's a stone enclosure. But you can leave, and no one else can come in. From what I read, it. Some of it sensationalized it to make it sound like you you you're locked in there and sure, that's yeah, your yeah, yeah. like where you die. Maybe you just like can't go like go out you to the shops. You can't like leave the monastery, but you can you know. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Sign me up. Like you you can go play music and like yeah. go look at flowers Dude. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with it. Cause other yeah. In fact, if I got sent back in a time machine and I had no way of getting back home. Yeah. Slap me on an anchor. Let's do this. It must get cold in there, though. Yeah, but the rest of them have the goddamn black plague. Yeah. Yeah, in some cases, they could leave to travel. They can travel! Yeah. They're... So they're doing great. Oh, uh, an- <laughs> okay. Anchorites could. But not the anchoresses. Let me see. A lot of them, um... Oh, they could have little gardens within their cells. That's cute. I got a bunch of houseplants. Yeah. I mean, I'm basic. We're basically living in a. It's not attached to a church, but it's just a tiny house. It's just a tiny. <laughs> Your house is huge compared to the house I grew up in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they would have a patron that could supply all of their needs, both physical and spiritual. Whoa. Jesus Christ. Like just someone to come and like. <laughs> No, it, you weren't supposed to get too many visitors in your anchorist cell, but like quality over quantity. You know, it's it's kind of cool. You're just sort of like the neighborhood wise woman. People just come to chat with you and like if you get can, your advice. If you are allowed to walk out of the door, it sounds like the only job I would want. Yeah, it sounds like one like pretty much the easiest life that you could have back then. Or yeah. one of yeah. Although, you don't These have to take it to the lengths that Yutta did. The, the first impression <laughs> I had sounds like the thing the anchorites would say when people started getting like, hey, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Don't you have it made? And I'm covered in shit with 10 birds in my pants. They would also have hermits known as desert mothers or desert fathers that would wander into the desert or forest in order to retreat from the world. It's a popular Christian practice. That's just people. 
Yeah, like you're just retreating into the forest. Like I know a few of them. Yeah, but like, wouldn't it be fun to just be a hermit that the church just supports? Like, here's your food. We'll take care of your, yes. take care of your shit. You just stay in your little doghouse. Absolutely. Yeah. There was also a period of time where I know that rich people would hire garden hermits, like artists, to live in their gardens. Just like sort of, you know, yeah, here's my hermit. Okay, I, so, that's what I would want to be. So NFTs are nothing new. <laughs> <laughs> We've always needed to waste our fucking money. Yeah. That's just, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So Hildegard's learning from Yutta. Yutta's a weirdo. Yeah. And not much is known about the rest of the years that Hildegard spent enclosed with Yutta and the other girlies. But we know she was taught how to read and sing psalms and play instruments. And sure. We know her attachment to music. Mm. Music was very important to Hildegard. She felt like it had a powerful and even medicinal effect on people. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. To her, music was a type of biblical meditation that could be used to restore harmony and balance with nature. She saw it as something that could heal the earth. Yeah, it is. If people got together and made music, we can like do great things and call upon the heavens and, you know. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's massage therapy for the psyche. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Get out of those knots, dog. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. And she noticed this balance with nature was being altered by humans. There's population growth going on, uh, destructive agricultural practices, making their mark upon her homeland. It's 1100. There's like 12 of you. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, right. She was a passionate (laughs) environmentalist. I don't give it. You can't be. Yeah, right. Shut the There's like 12 of you compared to what we got. I guess it's probably like, there's a lot going on. Like they were born um, when the first crusade went down. And there's like... There's just weird stuff going on. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of shit going on back then, for sure. But it just takes a lot longer to have happen. Mm -hmm. You got like six months before you hear the next piece of news. In any case. Yeah. She was attached to nature. Yeah. Hell yeah. Like in some stuff that I came across, I'm realizing that it was probably those people writing attaching their own like yeah and like concerns to her yep and it it occurs to me that's probably like she she loved nature but like she wasn't fucking concerned about like climate change (laughs) right yeah 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 Yeah. (laughs) so to her music was a type of biblical meditation and she could use it to restore harmony and balance with nature yeah because she loved nature because yeah. what the fuck else do you have to do except Man. wander around and look at stuff and ponder things and, and her, sew and sing? Her rhythms and her melodies mm-hmm. sounds like bird songs. She probably listened to a lot of birds. Uh, but it has that that lilting, the trills and shit, mm-hmm. the odd, um, the syncopation and the anticipation. That, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wicked reminds me of bird songs. Hell yeah. yeah. Well, she saw nature as deserving the same consideration and study as music because- both of these things she mm. felt have to do with the harmony of the universe and keeping things yes. in harmony. Okay, so after like I was regretting saying how groovy Christian mysticism was after the Christina story. Yeah. Now I'm not regretting it again. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah, hell yeah. Yeah. So Hildegard, she sees the universe as God's body. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a cool way to think about yeah, it. Yeah, dude. You know? Yeah. That's that shit. Yeah. What's that Christian mystic shit? Because 
you know, a lot of other people, they're thinking of God like as a man. Yeah. But she's like, no, this the whole universe is God. Yeah. We're living in it. Yeah. It, it's Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita, like opening up his 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 yeah. huge form and he is the universe. And she would have loved Electric Forest. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. Hildegard at like a festival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So before we go any further, there's this it's not a musical. So the first one that we listen, we listened to a song from In the Green, yes. which was the musical that has been produced and on stage about her life within the cell with Yutta and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's this other one that is still in production and in development, but they have a concept album for it, a live concept album that is full of songs that might be in the musical if it goes through. And I hope it does, because that would okay. really be something about Hildy's life you know, once she gets out of the cell. So let's see, what do I have for you here? The opening song, just like, it it basically describes Hildegard's life up until this point in the story. And it's just, it's so funny to imagine it being performed on stage in like a a super theatrical style. Are these people going to sue us? No, they'd love it. Okay. It's um, it was performed by the original cast of Chicago. So like, they're good. They're in development. I am feeding the the Tulpa yeah, yeah, of Hildegard yeah. live because yeah. I want to go see it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my. So Hildegard is what we call a polymath, the the very definition of a Renaissance woman. Yeah. Except not because way before we're, that we're in the Middle Ages. Yeah. Yeah. But she was highly skilled in many areas. Yeah. Polymath, of course, means um, you know a whole bunch about a lot of things. Well, a lot You're of an, different stuff. An expert in more than one thing. Right. So not only did she become a kick ass music composer. Yep. She also had an intimate relationship with the natural world. As I mentioned. Hell yeah. She spent decades researching natural science, agriculture, herbal remedies. and This is sick. Yeah. This was at a time when the church kind of frowned upon women who did like plant medicine and could be seen as healers, you know, because it's kind of pagan. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, Like that's pre-Christian shit. We can't have you like, you know, handing out herbal remedies and and stuff and doing witchy stuff. I mean, you know, this is christianity which is the desert god and like the desert god versus the forest god yeah and like there's a definitely a very clear masculinity to the desert god and a very clear femininity to the forest god yeah you know right so church usually frowns upon this type of stuff yet here's hildegard 
writing the first German herbal treatise, compiling catalogs on local plants, trees, birds, fish, stones. She's looking into it all. And she had this idea that of like a micro and macrocosm and how the human body too was a reflection of the universe. Yeah. Like you couldn't, you can't separate yourself from the natural world. Yeah. Like you are part of it, you impact it and it impacts you. So developing a relationship with nature to her, she saw as a necessary step to understanding how the sacred manifests itself in our material plane. She no shit. Right. <laughs> Go into nature. God damn it. Yeah. You know, right? Like seek nature and you'll find peace. Dude, that's crazy. I mean, that's such a, that's hermetic. Like that philosophy, that is, that's yeah, like. It doesn't that, feel Christian. It doesn't it's, feel. It's hermetic. It's super fucking hermetic. It doesn't feel hermetic. Catholic. It doesn't feel no. Benedictine. But the thing like a, is. A, like a nun. The hermetic text didn't get to Europe until the fucking uh, 1500s, I believe. Yeah. 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 God damn. Hilda. I love you. Yeah. So I actually made one of her recipes. Yeah? Yeah. It's for a cookie she of cook joy. You? Yeah. I want to marry this she had, she had some pretty interesting <laughs> recipes. I want to marry this nun. Yeah. <laughs> she used a lot of chestnuts in her cooking, which I've never had. Like there's one chestnut and potato soup, I think. I'm like, oh, I'd try it. Whatever. I'll try it. Yeah. I'll try it. So I made the cookies of joy. I will try them. They're supposed to cure depression and, and, uh, an overabundance of black bile. She was into the flamat, like the four humors yeah, yeah, type yeah. shit. It's, which, an o- you know, it's an okay what? metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this is different than the cakes of light, right? There's no blood or poop in these. <laughs> I promise. That come? I can't promise that. <laughs> it's a damn good cookie. That's a really good cookie. It's like a solid little butter cookie. It's a butter clove cinnamon cookie. Yeah. Good, Good shit. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it gave me some joy. She also has another suggestion for what you can do if you're depressed. Okay. Uh, you know, mandrakes, how their root yeah. looks like a man. Yeah. They look like little people. Yeah. Popular from Harry Potter. Yeah. You got to pull up the root from the ground. Okay. Because this mandrake root, mm-hmm. because it looks like a tiny man. Mm-hmm. The devil has more mm. influence on it mm. because of its human structure. Of it's course. like a, what do you call it? Um, it's a little shit boy. A little shit boy? That's not <laughs> what I was thinking. That is not what I was thinking. But it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, because it looks like us, this root is it's easy for us to displace our good and bad desires onto it and to sure. use it yeah, yeah, yeah. like as a sort of totem to displace our energy onto. Are you going to say sex toy? Yeah. <laughs> no, that would be <laughs> that would be difficult. So you take this mandrake root and you're going to soak it in a spring or in a fountain for 24 hours like overnight. Oh, so, so that you can dispel any evil or contrary humors from it. Mm, yes. Yeah. And then afterwards, you're going to take this the little man, little yep. mandrake, into bed with you. Come on. And you're going to cuddle it and warm it with your body. And you're going to recite these words. This is the dumbest shit I've ever heard. God who madest man from the dust of the earth without grief, I now place next to me that earth, which was never transgressed in order that my clay, 
may feel that peace just as thou didst create it. So it's like you're taking this little man-shaped piece of the earth and caring for it and like soaking it and soaking all of the evilness out of it and almost as if it represents you. So like you're soaking all of your... I don't know. That's some wild ass magic. Your depression into, you know, if you're depressed, just like take this little thing that looks like a man. It's the macro microcosm shit. You are the microcosm of the earth. So this piece of the macro that's a little piece that looks like you. you, It's this kind of. You can put your energy into it and then cleanse it and then love it. Yeah. It's this funhouse mirror type. Which is, I dig it. It's fucking sick. Yeah, kind of dig really it. Cool magic, hell yeah! <laughs> yes. I love it. And of course, I, when I was looking up stuff about the mandrake root, like throughout history, there's like yeah, a yeah, ton yeah. of shit about it. People using it for a variety of purposes. I supposedly it has like it can have hallucinogenic effects too when ingested. Hmm. So mandrake, cool. Hell yeah! <clears throat> yeah. It seems like it probably hurt your liver. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, probably not good for you to eat. <laughs> so, 11.36. Yutta has passed away. And it's unanimously decided that Hildegard's going to take Yutta's place as the head of the small convent that's formed. Yeah. She's going to be Abbess Hildegard. Love that. Yeah. Abbess. Abbess. Yeah. But first, she has to sing an obnoxious song at Yutta's funeral to really drive the point home. Oh, good. You're going to love it. She sang the song. Suffer is to live a life of worth. To suffer is a spiritual rebirth. Yada was a dominatrix. Let's get one thing she fucking clear. She lived on air and flagellation. She's like, oh my God. Yeah, she didn't eat. She just fucked a lot. Jesus Christ. Let's like, stop glorifying this degeneracy. Yada was a nice woman. Like, oh my God. Yeah. Fucking Christ. I can't, like, I can't. Yada was a weirdo. That's what she was. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> like. It, We're the same people now we were back then. Yeah. Some bitch locks herself up in a goddamn concrete dollhouse. Bunch of chains and spikes. <laughs> yeah. Other young women. Like, this is kinky, kind of. Yeah. I'm so, saying that this whole segment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, this whole time. Yutta's like the only person that knows about Hildegard's uh, weird luminous light visions that she gets where she just she'll see like a crack of light from the sky come down and like these weird things in her visual scope. And then she gets really tired and feels really shitty. And then after that, she feels really awesome and and awake and feels better. Kind of like she has... uh, Epilepsy. Yeah, or migraine with her. Or both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Or migraines or temporal lobe epilepsy. Yeah. Yeah. So, um... Yeah. But the only person that really knows about this is Yutta. And Yutta happened to tell this monk... At the Sabotaberg Monastery, Volmar. Mm. So Volmar knows about it too, and Volmar is a cool guy. He's like the dude that 
uh, the nuns all confess to and whatever, you know, whatever. Volmar's nice, nice enough. <laughs> yes, this is actually a solid anyone in this story. <laughs> so he's nice enough he is in nice medieval enough. terms. Right. So it's 1141. It's like five years after Yoda's passed away. Yeah, yeah. Hildegard is 42 years old. So like she only got to leave the the anchoress position and take on the the abbess role. Yeah. When she was like in her late 30s. Yeah, yeah. So she spent a lot of time in that little tiny Yeah, but she got to go out. Yeah. 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 She got to go out. It's true. Everyone else's house was small too. Mhm. Except the king. Right. He's got a lot of other stuff to worry yeah. about. <laughs> so Hildegard is 42 years old. Yeah. She gets a stunning vision of like, you know, light coming down from the sky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, can... I was trembling in fearful anticipation of a celestial vision that I beheld a great brightness through which a voice from heaven addressed me. O fragile child of earth, ash of ashes, dust of dust, express and write that which thou seest and hearest. Thou art timid, timid in speech, artless in explaining, unlearned in writing. But express and write not according to art, but according to natural ability, not under the guidance of human composition, but under the guidance of that which thou seest and hearest in God's heaven above. So basically this voice is telling her, you gotta write this shit down. It's interesting that, um, like that passage, and I understand that that's probably translated, cleaned up through a modern lens, but like kind of, it has the same countenance or the same rhythm and feel as what people might call the legitimate modern channeled writings. <clears throat> yeah. Like the book of the law. Yeah. Which I like, was, I was think actually thinking about that as right. I was reading it. Or, and it I wasn't going to say of, anything. It but... reminded me of the book of Babylon. Yeah. And but I like, was literally thinking about that. Yeah, when I was reading. Well, and and here's the thing: like, it, it'd be easy to say, like, well, yeah, because these these motherfuckers are copying the old shit. But that rhythm and that like feel isn't what other shit from 1100 feels like. Yeah, it almost feels more modern than that, or like different. Right. And uh, yeah, mm. well, it's very it's very raw too. Her admitting, yeah. like, it's like she couldn't give herself permission to write down anything that she was doing she didn't think that she was worth anything she hesitated she thought like am i really smart enough and good enough to share what i see would anyone even care like she felt so unworthy that she actually got really sick like after she got this vision because she she got that command from spirit or whoever that was trying to give her permission like hey I know you're timid. I know you're not confident in your writing, but God approves of you. The heavens do. And that's all that matters. So approach it from that point of view. Right. But she just can't. She drives herself sick. But luckily, Volmar is there to encourage her. So with Volmar's encouragement, Hildegard begins writing her visions and their meanings and what would come to be her book, Scivius, <laughs> or in English, Know the Ways of God. Oh, Hildegard, actually, she made her own language Fuck called you. Lingua Ignota. What? Yeah. <laughs> it had 900 unique words 
She's like one of the first recorded con langers too. That means like people who make their own language. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. It's pretty cool. That's sick. Yeah. Hell yeah. Right. Yeah. So Hildegard is feeling more encouraged now. She starts writing this shit down. And what do you know? People like it. Yeah. That reminds me of an inversion. Well, sort of, sort of inversion of um, Muhammad's story. Hmm. You know, because it was his favorite wife that told him, no, dude, you're not crazy. Yeah. Like you are worthy. Like you had this vision. You got to say something. Right. It is really weird. Does Disenbodenberg mean town of the disembodied? I don't know. <laughs> I think so. It could. Yeah. I would have bet a dollar that it does. No, no, keep keep playing it. God. Volmar's got a part. me Satan. Yeah. Get behind me Satan. Yeah, her words spreading all over the fucking country. Do you love it? I hate it. Yeah. I hate musical theater. <laughs> Come on. I swear to God and I could go on, for, I could talk for like an hour about why, but it's fine. I don't like I don't hate that other people like it. I d- honestly, I'm not into it but it's fun. I can dig it. I don't dig the singing style so much. It, it triggers something atavistic and violent inside of me. Weird. Deep in my DNA. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Yeah, yeah. Huh. See, I think it's kind of like the shows that become popular. It's just like another way of marking um, the historical period is like whatever musicals are popular at the time. Sure, sure, sure. You know? Yeah, no, I understand. Another I, cultural marker. I understand. They are, there's like... An innate level of cringe to musicals, though, that is undeniable. And I think even fans of them would agree. I mean, I think that might be the thing that I can't. I don't yeah. know. No, it's not. It's there's no groove. There's no groove in musical theater. Yeah. The groove shifts to accompany the narration, what yeah. they need to say. And that creates a very sober musical experience. Mm-hmm. It has no release. It's always it doesn't yeah. it doesn't groove. I I like it for the same reasons why I like really bad movies. Yeah, I can't do that shit. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't do reality TV or Even like the like live streamers were, and shit. The way you were cringing through Nathan for you. No, no, it, it hurts. Yeah, yeah. Like it really bothers me. Yeah. It's Shoulders un- all tight. It's uncomfortable. Oh. You were so uncomfortable. Dude, it's physical. it's a physical thing. Right. Uh. So Skivius. Yeah. She's writing Skivius. And People start reading her work and they really like it. Oh, yeah. Even the Pope reads her early writing. Holy shit. And Hildy, our sweet Hildy, becomes the first woman ever to be recognized as a prophetess by the Roman Catholic Church. Whoa. And also, like, this is interesting because she had some pretty edgy writings that I wonder if the Pope ever read about, like, some of the, probably some of the first recorded writings about the female orgasm. 
okay. she writes about. Also, um, it's interesting. She wrote about speculating uh, how the strength of the semen determines whether the child will be male or female. That's true, though. Yeah. That's straight up true. It's not the str- it's not strength. But yeah, it's 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 the dude's sperm that determines the sex of the yeah. kid. And I'm pretty sure that um like higher testosterone. Right. You're more likely to have boys. And she that's also that's crazy. She also wrote that the amount of love and passion between the parents determines the child's personality. And it's like, well, I mean, kind in of in a roundabout way. In a round yeah. Yeah. Like in a magical way. That's absolutely true. But it's <laughs> she saw things from a an interest a bunch of different scales. A very you know? hermetic perspective. Yeah. Incredible. like that <clears throat> all of this is very intensely like hermetic, hermetic, like Pymander and the Asclepius and shit. Like it's not one to one, but damn. So at this point, Hildegard is kind of like a rock star in a way. Yeah. And um, you know, she's endorsed by the Pope. Yeah. So, of course, being endorsed by the Pope, people are going to want to send their daughters to learn from you. Yeah. Now she's kind of taking on Yetta's role. I mean, she did. She mm-hmm. she got the role of abbess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, enter uh, one particular young woman being sent to learn from her, the 22-year-old Ricardus von Stad. Mm. Yes. And Ricardus and Hildegard had a close relationship. Hey. Yeah. Close. Yeah. So Ricardus is Hildegard's primary support and assistant. It's kind of like, like Hildegard, Ricardus, and Valmar. They're like, they're friends, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And this is the point when Hildegard has this vision that she's got to move her convent. She thinks of it as her convent, you know? Because she's she's at the Disabodeberg Monastery, but she's got this little nun convent going on around her. And she's thinking, uh, Rupertsburg seems like a good location. Think I want to move up there. I think I had a vision that told me I need to. So she goes to the abbot and asks him, and he is totally against it. Abbot Kuno. He's completely against Mm. this. And of course he was because Hildegard is their cash cow. She's bringing a bunch of people to the monastery to see yeah, her she's speak. a rock star. A bunch of people are coming there and donating because, you know, they want to come see the fucking famous Hildegard. Sure. So they don't want her to go anywhere. They're doing great right mm-hmm. there. Why move? And Ricardus's mother even, like, comes on board to help Hildegard write letters appealing to superiors about needing to move. So there is a song in the musical... That is the confrontation between Hildegard and Abbot Kuno of her asking him. And we can listen to it or we cannot listen to it. And it also highlights exactly what we're talking about. I'm just afraid I'm going to die. Yeah, of cringe. So this is her and Volmar talking. But don't look at the ground. Um, Do your best to uh, stay engaged, but don't question too much. Uh, uh, Be timorous. Don't be smarter than him. This is ridiculous. Do you want to stay here forever? No. I'm getting sick every day I'm here. Then play by the rules. Oh, make it seem like it's his idea. Are you sure you don't want me to come in there? No, I can do it. I should ask. Good luck. Abbot Kuno? 
Meanwhile, in real life. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I got to say about that. Right. <laughs> Okay, so Abba Kuno is totally against the relocation. We didn't get to hear him sing about it, but that's okay. Do we need to? It, I mean, I'd like to see you suffer through it. Okay. <laughs> and let Christ in to your heart. Congratulations, you ascended to the role of Abbas. Renew the beauty of your touch. Keep our monasteries flushed. Now... I know you probably didn't understand what was expected of you at the funeral. A simple song with less um, detail. Yeah. But don't you worry. Your role as Abyss is simple. I know you'll do great. Thank you for coming. Yes. <laughs> and have a yes. great day. Did you ask him? No. Get back in there. This is perfect. I like the idea of the history as a, ve a vengeful angel. <laughs> yes. Yes. God. So, Abbot Kuno, he's against the move, doesn't yeah. want his cash cow to leave. He's not cool with it. But Rupertsburg is supposed to be the place that Hildegard can go and bring her women along and they can do their fucking thing there. This sounds like Medina with Muhammad. This sounds like Illinois and Utah with Joseph Smith. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, this was supposed to be a place where Hildegard and Ricardus could go to be themselves, where all these women could go to just be themselves. And she wasn't going to let the nasty abbot bring her down. So she continues to write with the help of Volmar and Ricardus, and then she gets an idea. Oh, uh, what do you know? Your prized abbess is suddenly paralyzed and mute. Oh, shit. Try to exploit me now. Yep. She just basically won't move or talk. She crawls into the wall, cubby. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Abakuna relents. He's like, well, I'm fucking fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fine. I can't do anything. So in 1150, Hildegard and 20 nuns move to Rupertsburg. And it is entirely barren and there is nothing there and they have to build it all up themselves. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. It's just a place on a map? Yeah, and it's hard. <laughs> yeah. So for 10 years, they're uh, oh doing the, the construction and the relocation of the Abbey to Rupertsburg. Yeah. And meanwhile, she's also composing what's basically like the precursor to operas. Mm. Um, and it's called Ordo Virtutum. Okay, so this is when this shit gets composed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's all about the struggle for the human soul between the devil and the seven virtues. 
Let me seven, you say. Yeah, let me see what Hildegard's seven virtues are. We know one of them is contempt for for the world. Fuck yeah. One of them is fear of God, too, I think. Yeah, I mean that sounds right. The virtues are humility, hope, chastity, innocence, contempt for the world, <laughs> celestial love. Discipline with a question mark, and then the name is scratched out in the manuscript, and it says modesty instead. Damn it. Um, mercy. Fucking. Yeah. <laughs> victory. Discretion. Patience. This is more than seven. Knowledge of God. Charity. Fear of God. Obedience and faith. Okay. Hmm. So in Ordo Virtutum, there, there are more than seven virtues. Good. Yeah, I mean, that's not, seven is not enough. I just see. So the opera is supposed to be about the struggle for the human soul between the devil and the virtues. Yeah. Or is it? Or is it? Because the characters in the opera kind of seem to mirror people from Hildegard's life. Like, Ricardus is anima. Okay. Soul. Uh, Yada is God. And Abbot Kuno is kind of like the devil. Mm. So... It's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, in a rather sad twist of events, a year after arriving in Rupertsburg, Ricardus's family obtains a position for her as uh, abbess of Bossom. Mm. So she's going to have to move away. She's got to go. The women are going to have to separate. And Hildegard is not happy about this. (laughs) In fact, she's like devastated about it. Okay. She writes a letter to the Pope. So we're pretty clear on what's going on here. Yeah. Yeah. We. Uh, The Pope like writes back to her and basically the gist of it is like, you're being a little weird about this. (laughs) 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 Did did you not train her so that she could? Take on a, a position of leadership, aren't you? Why is it all fucking point? Yeah, like shouldn't you be? Shouldn't you be yeah. sleeping on a wall somewhere? Right. So, despite Hildegard's best efforts, Ricardus leaves for Bossum, and then dies shortly after arriving. Yeah, that'll happen. Yeah. So. <laughs> so there you go. Thanks. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. It's a tragic lesbian love story movie waiting to happen. Meanwhile, in the desert, they're, like, figuring out algebra and shit. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Hildegard's tracking fish migration patterns. That's sick. That's really <laughs> cool. Like, that's incredibly cool. <laughs> so the first decade at Rupertsburg, like I said, is a challenge because they have to, like, build themselves from the ground mm-hmm. up. And then in 1158, Hildegard embarks on a preaching tour. So, like, real rock star style now. She's going on tour. Just doing the circuit. Right. And it's kind of cool, you know, this woman traveling around, speaking to to monasteries, speaking to the public, you know, and she's not doing it as a heretic either. She's doing this like with the Pope's Yeah, approval, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, her grandest tour took place when she was 65 years old. And that's the same Damn. year she began work on her most ambitious theological work yet, Liber Divinorum Operum, or the Book of Divine Works, which... It would take her 10 years to complete. And it is quite the read. It's a heavy read. Like you got to be, you got to know like biblical shit. So Helen was just doing Hilda's bit. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Word. Yeah. And so 
my favorite passage from the book of divine works is when she talks about the universe being like a sphere comprised of other spheres, like all within each other and attached to each other. It's very sort of like Kabbalistic. Well, it's too. very Gnostic. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that's super Gnostic. Right. What year was this? 1163 is when she began working on it. What the fuck? That's crazy. The illustrations in it are nuts too. Definitely. Yeah, 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 yeah. But while working on her masterpiece, her health continues to suffer. Yet, she manages somehow to open up a second convent across the Rhine, the river, yeah, yeah, yeah. in Ibingen, which she visited twice a week. And she's like, she's like in her late 60s at this point. Like she's founding other convents. And she's like, stromping all around. Yeah, she's traveling all around, yeah. doing all sorts of shit. At 72 years old, she embarks on another preaching tour to other regions of Germany. She travels 250 miles Jesus. on this tour. In 1173, Volmar passes away. Very sad moment. Hildegard is left grieving and she starts considering her own mortality, decides it's time for me to start thinking about a successor in yeah. some way. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to live forever. And she finds this guy, uh, Godfrey, a monk. Uh, but then, oops, he, he just dies like a year later. So mm. luckily Hildegard had a backup. <laughs> oh, excellent. <laughs> Gubert of Gemblo. None of this shit's real. Gubert of Gemblo. Yeah. So he's invited to be Hildegard's uh, secretary and he stays with her until she dies. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. She lives like the last six months of her life in relative peace. She dies September 17th, 1179, and accounts of her death say that when she died, two arcs of colored light illuminated the sky. Double rainbow. Yeah. Her <laughs> heart and tongue are preserved in the golden reliquary in the parish church of Ibingerstrasse in Rudesheim on the River Rhine. Yeah, so you can go see her heart and tongue, I guess. What the fuck is wrong with us? There's also a walking path called like the Hildegard Way where you can sort of like walk along That's basically, cool. which is really cool. But there's still like people that venerate her and worship her to this day and like keep up her uh, sacred sites. Yeah. I mean, it seems like she deserves it. Yeah. Yeah. And finally, uh, Pope Benedict the whatever ordered Hildegard's name to be inscribed in the catalog of saints and 2012 oh wow so it took a long time but now she's you know officially saint hildegard yeah yeah, yeah. she's a part of the universal church and so wow. uh christina of mary kate is also she's saint christina she's okay. also been canonized yeah. yeah 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 i'm the one who grew up in fucking catholic extended family i should know this shit i don't know any of it you're a jewess right i'm the catholic boy right grandma fucking Baptized me without anyone's consent. <laughs> she told me a different story. Still involved baptism without consent. Yeah. A different story. I don't know yeah. which one's true, but I know I'm not going to hell. <laughs> so thinking about the Ten of Pentacles, right? I have been. I have been too, because it's very much like ten. It's the end of a cycle, but it's also the beginning of a cycle, right? Yes. So it makes me think of like, it's it's a long term 
sort of card. I don't know. Because you see like, okay. It's a tough one, but there's something here. I've got some ideas. There's this older gentleman and he's sitting down stage left, the bottom left corner. And he's sort of like, there's two dogs sitting by him. And then there's also a couple behind him and looks like uh, a town. Yeah. There's a town. And I get the sense of this older gentleman being an important member of the community. Like he's feeding these dogs. He's, he's an important guy, right? He also has a whole life behind him that you can't see here. Yeah. And these people behind him, these younger people have a whole life ahead of them. There's one facing the viewer and there's one facing away. Right. These two people in the background. To me, that's. And there's also, there's also a small child who's actually quite hidden. I didn't even notice it in the card until just now who's petting a dog. So there's really sort of all cycles of life yeah. stages yeah, represented yeah, yeah. here. With the things they know and don't know and can only assume and be taught. Right. And teach. Yeah. Um, it definitely speaks to a lot of the anachronisms of both Christina and Hildegard. Right. And believe the astrological attribution of the Ten of Discs is Mercury and Virgo. Mm-hmm. Like... Uh, which is Mercury the messenger. Yeah. You know? Both of them were thinking long-term. They were very willing to sacrifice in order to serve something larger than themselves, which is really hard to do. That takes... An enormous amount of, I mean, I don't even know the word for it. Hutzpah? Is it Hutzpah? Hutzpah. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't. Courage is the, is the word. Courage and a willingness and acceptance of suffering mm-hmm. as a condition of human life. The way that they both embrace suffering, even. Yeah. And in a way that the, uh, I mean, so much of the shit that was going on in, you know, both those stories happened in the same century. Right? right. And like, a lot of fucking nonsense I didn't know about. Yeah. Just going to lock a bitch in a wall like that? Right. And you almost... I don't like it. You almost have to feel like your suffering was for a holy purpose in or order can, to like get through some of that shit. It like just makes it... Or you can make it for a holy purpose. Exactly. You can be the one left standing at the end of it. You can... be the old man... You can become a phoenix. Telling the story. Right. You know? You can alchemize all of those awful fucking experiences and turn it into yeah, yeah, becoming something and someone greater than you ever could have expected. Yeah, and, and I like that you used alchemy in that regard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, but it, it it also speaks to the. I don't know if there's a card that's more about the conditions we're in right now. Yeah. Than the ten of ten of discs because like that's the whole culmination. Right. That's the whole all of the rest of the tarot. Also, everything comes together in the ten of this. This um, the older man in the foreground. He's sitting in front of this arc that you see the town and the younger people well, he's, through. He's so where they're the fool, like he's the fool, right? That's where the fool ends up. Yeah, right. Like the fool starts off like, "Oh, I'm dancing with a dog. It's a great time." And he goes through all this shit. He doesn't know what the hell life is. He doesn't know what the world is. He goes now through all this bullshit. Got, he's just got two dogs. He's petting them. He's got two dogs. Not the same. So stoic. And he's telling stories. Yeah. He's been through some shit. He's watched the tower fall. He's dealt with death. He's done all that shit. He's lived in a tiny little dollhouse. And also this 
this arc separates him from the town behind him. Mm -hmm. He's sitting on the other side of the arc that you look through and see everything behind him. Right. Right. Which is, which has to be the fucking what the, the anchorite house is a literalized representation of. Yeah. Yeah. Because like the, these women's stories spoke to me personally because their lives are kind of marked by this painful sense of isolation. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes. It's just absolutely. sad to yes. say, but you know, and their circumstances were unusual and highly demanding in in a way that they had to turn to spiritual mm-hmm. like spirituality in order to to survive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and to make it through those challenging circumstances. And they dealt with adversity and tragedy in some pretty fucking creative ways you know like uh pretending to be comatose to to stick it to the monks that won't let you don't want you to move away or um dressing up like a dude and mounting a horse and never looking back yeah or or like hanging by your fucking fingernails to escape being raped because your whole family is evil yeah i mean that's insane like and Hildegard, the fact that she was so overcome with self-doubt that she made herself physically sick and didn't even travel hardly outside of her cell or outside of the convent until she was in her 40s. And then she went on all of her tours and stuff in her 60s, you know, like all those great things she did. She did later in life and she was self-taught. Sure, Yutta like helped her read but she was never confident in herself and all of her observations all of her talent was because she she took the time to do it and teach herself and she did great things and it shows you that i don't know i fo- i found it very inspiring hell yeah no she's really really cool it made me think about like my own a- approach to making music which is like you know what it doesn't have to be perfect just enjoy yourself mm-hmm just compose, let the spirit flow through you, see what happens. Yeah. Make some let good go. shit. Yeah. Just dance through life. Right. So I want to close out with a quote Okay. from Hildegard. We cannot live in a world interpreted for us by others. An interpreted world is not a hope. Part of the terror is to take back our own listening, to use our own voice, to see our own light. There you have it, folks. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah. No, that's sick. Yeah, interpret your own world. Why the fuck have I never heard of her before? Right? Now you have. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Good shit, dude. Yeah. All right, everybody. Yeah. That's it. Get out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Make your way to the exit. Yeah. Throw your phone out the window. So rate us on all the things. Give us five stars. Like us. Just in your head. Please accept us. (laughs) <laughs> if you like what we do show us some love wherever you wherever you listen yeah tell our people tell your friends mm-hmm. tell your anchoress yeah which is just that weird old woman that lives down the road yes yell at her through her window while she's yelling at you through her window yeah pass her some food through the window through her hagioscope or whatever. she's hungry yeah <laughs> all right everybody goodbye <laughs>